This is AFF On Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast, bringing you the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. G'day and welcome to this episode of AFF On Air. It is Saturday the 23rd of March 2019 and I'm your host Matt Graham. Coming up in today's episode, is there a cure for a fear of flying? I discussed this with Peter Chin from Flight Experience in Perth. I'll also discuss upcoming changes to the Singapore Airlines Chrisfly program and a range of changes to airline routes and schedules which are all taking effect on the same day next weekend. That's coming up later in the episode, but first, as always, let's take a look at what's making news on the Australian Frequent Flyer this fortnight. And firstly, Singapore Airlines will increase the cost of all Star Alliance award bookings made in business and first class using Chrisflyer miles. And these changes come into effect in just over three weeks on the 16th of April this year. And I'll be discussing this in a lot more detail at the end of today's episode. American Airlines has increased the cost of buying Advantage miles while also raising the minimum purchase amount per transaction from 1,000 to 2,000 Advantage miles. However, to compensate for this, Advantage is removing the $35 processing charge that used to apply per transaction. With a new bonus offer recently announced, buying Advantage miles can still be good value if you're redeeming for premium cabin travel on American Airlines or any of its partner airlines, which, as of the 20th of March, now also include China's Southern Airlines. Qantas is offering 30% off the Qantas points required for classic flight reward bookings in economy. The discount is available until next Monday, the 25th of March, and applies to economy flights operated by Qantas, Jetstar, Jetstar Asia or Emirates, excluding flights to and from Lord Howe Island. There is unfortunately no discount though to the exorbitant carrier charges that Qantas adds to the price of reward flight bookings, nor to rewards in premium cabins. And until the end of this month, you can also get 30% off last-minute Chrisflyer awards for travel on Singapore Airlines or Silcare next month on selected routes. It's part of the monthly Chrisflyer Spontaneous Escapes promotions. Air Asia will be launching non-stop flights from Perth to Lombok in Indonesia from the 9th of June. The flights will run four times per week, and launch fares are currently available for as low as $155 return. And Melindo Air is now selling seats on its new route from Adelaide to Kuala Lumpur via Bali Denpasar. The four weekly flights will commence on the 14th of April. Melindo Air will offer a full service alternative to Jetstar on the Adelaide to Bali route. And Virgin Australia is also launching flights next month from Darwin to Bali. The Virgin flights are going to also be competing with existing Jetstar flights on the Darwin to Bali route, but Virgin will offer much more friendly timings than Jetstar. Delta Airlines will be bringing its new Delta One suite and its premium economy product, which is marketed as Premium Select, onto its Sydney flights from the 16th of April. Delta currently also has very good award availability for its uh, Premium Select product, on the Sydney to Los Angeles routes, and you can book Delta Premium Economy using Velocity Points. 
The ongoing survival of Virgin Australia's flights from Newcastle to Auckland are in doubt. With data from the Bureau of Infrastructure, Transport and Regional Economics revealing that Virgin's flights on the Newcastle to Auckland route were less than half full on average throughout November and December. Virgin ran flights from Newcastle to Auckland three times per week from November to February as a seasonal summer service. The route was the first international service for Newcastle Airport since 2002. All Boeing 737 MAX aircraft around the world have been grounded, pending the outcomes of the Ethiopian Airlines and Lion Air accident investigations. No Australian Airlines own any Boeing 737 MAX aircraft, but until two weeks ago, Fiji Airways and Silcare were operating them on some of their Australian routes. And finally, Qantas will be bringing in its new domestic carry-on weight limits this Monday, the 25th of March. From Monday, you'll be allowed to bring on bags weighing up to 10 kilograms rather than 7 kilograms onto Qantas domestic flights. However, the 14 kilogram total weight limit will remain and you still can only bring on up to two pieces. The new carry-on limits will apply to all passengers on Qantas domestic flights in all classes of travel. However, they do not apply to Qantas Link-8 services. That's what's making news this fortnight. For more regular news, updates and deals, be sure to subscribe to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette where you'll get updates twice a week or follow us on Facebook for daily updates. See australianfrequentflyer.com.au for more information. Well, personally, I I really enjoy flying, but for many people, flying can be a nerve-wracking experience. Fear of flying is a very real problem for some people, and to tell me more about it, I'm joined by Peter Chin, who runs a uh, Fear of Flying course at Flight Experience in Perth. Welcome, Peter. Hey, Matt. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thanks for coming on the podcast. So just to to give me a sort of a rough idea, do you know how many people does fear of flying affect? Is it a really major problem or...? It is, and that roughly about one in four people can have um, any varying degree of a fear of flying. It uh, could be from not really enjoying the flight too much, all the way up to people not even uh, driving near the airport. So it does it, it does affect a lot of people in uh, different uh, in different ways. Yeah, and do you find also that frequent flyers and people that are really travelling a lot for work, you know, the road warriors, are they also affected just as much as your once a year leisure flyer? I think uh, anyone and everyone um, who fits in that one and four can definitely um, uh, uh, be involved in it. And obviously, we've got the frequent flyers and the uh, all the um, all the FIFO workers. You know, they 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 must be affected in some manner. Yeah, and and certainly the the FIFO workers in particular, they're relying on the on flying for um, for their income. But uh, if if you're afraid of flying, it can also be quite limiting in terms of your mobility. I mean, if if you don't want to get on a plane, unless you get on a boat or a cruise ship, you're not going to probably be able to go overseas. And if you've got family or work commitments elsewhere, that can be quite limiting. Have you seen any particularly extreme cases um, where it's it's really affected people? I haven't really seen any extreme, but uh, living here in Perth, we are the well, obviously the most isolated um, city in Australia, well, you know, capital city, but we are one of the most isolated capital cities in the world. And we have uh, lots of, um, well, in fact, one in 10 people living here in Perth are from the UK. So you can imagine uh, going home or to visit their, their families 
Um, it's a long way to go, and uh, if you've got a fear of flying, then it's going to be quite difficult. I think uh, ships leave probably every couple of months, and they only take about uh, 36 days to get to uh, to the UK, so it's going to be a long uh, time travelling. Yeah, 36, 36 days to get to the UK, and I mean, uh, actually, I didn't know that one in 10 people living in Perth are... Um, have that background from the UK, it probably makes sense then as to why Qantas started that non-stop flight, which can get you there in 17 hours. Exactly, Matt. Yep, yep. It's a good place to do it first here to start off with. Yeah, definitely. So do you find, um, so you, you're um, running these fear of flying courses, do you find that there's one particular aspect of flight that people are scared of, like uh, maybe takeoff or if uh, there's a bit of turbulence or is it just the experience in general? I'd say the number one fear is um, turbulence because it's a... Um, it's part of your uh, uh, your subconscious mind, which is uh, the anxiety part, and then the fear part is when the turbulence actually happens. So it's like a double whammy uh, for people. So that is the number one at the top of the list. Mm. And, and you're a, for a former pilot yourself, so you're probably a good person to answer this. Is there any ever danger of uh, turbulence, or is it just a normal part of the flight that that comes and goes, and there's no there's no safety risk there? The the only um, safety part is obviously if you are not restrained, that is, if you don't have your seatbelts fastened, and any obviously uh, loose objects can go flying around the aircraft. The actual aircraft itself is very, very uh, safe. It's very uh, strong. It can uh, ride through almost every turbulence uh, known to man, but it's obviously all the people and the objects inside the aircraft. That's where the safety um, problem comes. Uh, okay, so buckle up, I guess, is the message there. <laughs> exactly. Buckle up and keep buckled up. You know, even when it's smooth, do it, you know, go for a walk around to the toilet, uh, you come back, always put your seatbelt uh, seat back on just in case. Yeah, no, definitely good advice there. And if, if someone is feeling anxious when they step onto a plane, is it worth bringing this to the attention of one of the flight attendants? Is there anything that the crew can do to help? Yes. Uh, in fact, a lot of my um, uh, fear flying uh, have actually um, uh, told the cabin crew um, and they will tend to give them, uh, you know, more special attention uh, to reassure them because obviously cabin crew fly uh, for the living. So they're, they're used to turbulence. So obviously when the time comes, they can come and reassure them. And, and sometimes the, they might let the pilots know and if they got some time, um, the pilots might actually come out and, uh, well, obviously one of the pilots may come out and do, um, you know, quick uh, reassurance for the passenger. Mm. Yeah, and that, that could be useful, I guess. And also, do you find that um, medication can help some people if, if they've got a fear of flying? Medication can help, but the problem with medication actually has like a half-life. So some um, medications, you know, the typical ones you might take, um, might be fine, they'll probably knock you out, but um, when you look at a half-life of, say, even 24 hours, it's going to knock you out for quite a while, um, you know, days after you uh, get to your destination. So you're going to feel the um, feel effects of the medication for quite long. So uh, that's why actually doing um, a fair flying course is probably going to help and get you off the medication. And certainly uh, alcohol, well, we all like to have a bit of a drink sometimes, but uh, overdoing it to, to actually uh, knock you out, that's not a very good idea either no <laughs> and uh yeah so you run also the fear of flying courses could you just take us through uh what what do these courses involve what what are the the stages in that and how can they help someone who's got a fear of flying so matt we've basically got uh two types of courses we have a course for a uh, person who has a medium to low and we call that the exposure course so that can be done in about four to five hours where um 
customer will come in, uh, we'll do what we call a part of educational. We will talk to them about two, two and a half hours about um, all their anxieties about flying. We run a, um, a, a comprehensive PowerPoint. And then after that, we'll put them actually in the flight simulator, uh, which is the Boeing 737 uh, a replica aircraft, and we'll fly them around and, uh, and obviously um, confront their fears uh, head on. Uh, the second course is for people that have a medium to high. So we have the same course, but we um, involve psychology. So you go and see one of our um, psychologists who's trained in, um, in the fear of flying, and that could take up to probably about three or four weeks to go through the entire course, but it's uh, well worth it. Okay. And how does the, um, the, flight ex the flight simulator experience help with uh, someone's fear of flying? Well, I used to think that the uh, flight simulator was actually the icing of the cake. I've actually realised that the uh, simulator is actually the cake itself and everything else is uh, sort of like the um, more comprehensive icing. Um, I found that a lot of people, when they get in, when they actually walk into the simulator, they go, oh, my God. It's like, uh, you know, if you've got a fear of heights or um, a fear of snakes and, and you are confronted with a, a simulated version of those, that will then get your fear going immediately. I've actually had uh, people come in and have actually broken down uh, because the realism is uh, very, very real. Mm -hmm. um, but towards the end of the flight, we, we, we then find that the uh, anxiety levels start to drop off. And um, I've heard so many times from customers walking out, big smile on their face saying, I now want to book a flight to somewhere. I just want to uh, do a test flight somewhere. Oh, that's fantastic. And do you find the, the success rate is pretty good in, with people doing these courses? I'm looking around uh, 90 to 95%. It's, uh, you know, the most important thing is we have to realise that it's not a cure for, um, for fear of flying. It's, you know, we, we basically give you the tools and then you obviously need to go off and use those tools to help you when you actually go flying. So I never ever say to anyone that you're going to be cured the minute you walk out the door, we give you the tools to lower your anxiety and then on your subsequent flights, we need to, uh, for you to use those tools that we've given you. Yeah, no, fair enough. And uh, just finally, I wanted to ask you, um, being, a, being also a pilot yourself, we often see um, reports in the media about routine events like a go-around being reported with headlines like near-death experience and passengers thought they were going to die. And then, uh, huh. <laughs> and then uh, there was this incident last, uh, just recently with the Qantas flight from Adelaide to Canberra that uh, lost cabin pressure and uh, had to divert huh. to Melbourne. Uh, and this is reported in some newspapers with things like horror flight, terraplane plunge, all this kind of thing. Do you think that the, um, this kind of irresponsible um, media coverage plays a role in contributing to people's anxiety about flying? Most definitely, uh, Matt. Uh, you know, the problem with the media is that they're always looking for a, a story. Now, majority of the uh, media don't have um, enough information, but they also hype up um, the stories to make them look a, a lot more, uh, a lot worse off than they actually are. Now, in today's world, we are confronted with um, people with uh, cameras on the flight, and. Uh, most people, if somebody starts to become a little bit hysterical, then that can create then a mass hysteria from an otherwise, you know, fairly, um, you know, comfortable flight, even though um, it feels like, the, you know, something's happening. All you need is one or two people to start screaming and then everybody else um, starts to uh, basically go with them. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so, yeah, definitely the media uh, have a large uh, part to play with um, ramping up people's uh, fears and anxieties of flying. Yeah, and and as you are a pilot yourself, I'm just wondering if you could explain to listeners what is what would um, the standard procedure be when there is a loss of cabin pressure? The loss of cabin pressure will determine on uh, how quickly uh, the cabin's uh, rising because when we're pressurised uh, at around uh, 35,000 feet, we're looking at pressure roughly about the same as uh, Je- uh, Johannesburg, um, about five and a half to 6,000 feet. So if we see that the cabin... Um, actually start to climb, um, we were then trying to determine what the, um, uh, the cause of the problem. Uh, if we could not control the, um, the cabin, then we would actually um, commence a descent. Now, that descent will determine on how fast that cabin's uh, rising to where we just do a normal, fairly gentle descent, or we might actually go into what we call a full-blown um, a, a rapid descent. Right, and that's when the oxygen masks will drop down from above the passengers, right? Yeah, the action mass will normally drop down when the cabin pressure is around, I uh, think, about 12,000 feet or thereabouts. Okay. I mean, that's completely, you know, standard procedure, though. No one's actually in any danger when this happens, right? No, no, because we actually get the aircraft down pretty quick. So um, the time spent at those high altitudes is uh, reduced um, quite a lot to get down to a, a safer um, altitude where um, the, um, you know, the pressures are uh, a lot greater. Yeah, good to know. Thanks for your insight on that. And uh, just before we go, can you tell us where listeners can find out more about your fear of flying courses? Um, so we're based in Perth at uh, Flight Experience Perth. People can uh, log on to our website, um, uh, perth.flightexperience.com.au or uh, send us an email at perth.flightexperience.com.au and we can uh, certainly uh, help you. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Peter, for coming onto the podcast. Appreciate your insights. Well, thank you very much, Matt, for uh, inviting me once again. Hi, this is Clifford Reichlin, founder of the Australian Frequent Flyer. I trust you're enjoying this episode of AFF on Air. Matt does a great job, doesn't he? Do you know that you can tap directly into Matt's knowledge at Frequent Flyer Solutions, our premium service? Go to frequentflyer.com.au for more information. Welcome back. Well, from next weekend, there's going to be a whole range of changes to airline routes and schedules all around the world, including many in Australia. And all of these changes come into effect on exactly the same day, Sunday the 31st of March. Why is this? Well, it's no coincidence that all these changes are happening at the same time. And as it happens, airline route planning revolves around the Northern Hemisphere summer and winter seasons. So next Sunday, the 31st of March, is going to be the start of daylight savings in Europe. And for this reason, yeah, airlines all around the world are going to be adjusting their schedules and launching new routes at uh, exactly this time. So because of this phenomenon with, um, with schedules revolving around the northern summer and winter, we see twice a year at the start of the European summer and also the end when uh, daylight savings in Europe ends, a whole range of changes all happening yeah, at exactly the same time. This year, the northern summer starts on the 31st of March and it will end on Sunday the 27th of October when there'll be no doubt another raft of changes. 
Now, I thought you might be interested to know what's how it's changing um, in the Australian aviation landscape next weekend. And so I've put together a list of some of the, the major changes that are going to be maybe of interest to Australian travellers from next Sunday, the 31st of March. And there's quite a few new flights being launched uh, by Qantas next weekend. So, for example, Qantas is going to be starting flights from Sydney to Nadi in Fiji. Qantas Link is also going to be starting flights from Sydney to Bendigo. And Qantas Link will be resuming flights, uh, which were previously suspended a couple of years ago, from Cairns to Port Moresby in Papua New Guinea. Also from the 31st of March, Qantas is going to be upgrading its Sydney to Denpasar flights back to an Airbus A330. So at the moment, Qantas is running a Boeing 737 on its flights from Sydney to Bali which is not a particularly nice experience, especially if you're in uh, business class on the overnight return flight. So when the route goes back to an A330, once again, there'll be live flatbeds for those passengers at the front of the plane in business class. So that's a, a nice little upgrade there. Qantas is also going to be retiming one of its flights from Sydney to Hong Kong from next weekend. So QF117, which is Qantas's second daily flight from Sydney to Hong Kong, currently leaves at around 4 p.m., uh, this is going to be retimed to an overnight flight, leaving uh, Sydney just before 10pm and getting to Hong Kong at 5 o'clock the next morning. So that'll be Qantas's only red-eye flight from Australia to Asia other than its uh, daily Sydney to Tokyo Haneda service. Speaking of uh, flight retimings, LATAM Airlines, based in Chile, is going to be retiming its uh, flights from Melbourne to Santiago from next week. So currently, LATAM flies nonstop from Melbourne to Santiago with the flight uh, leaving Melbourne in the evening and getting to Santiago the following evening around the same time. And uh, coming back from Santiago, it's a day flight leaving around lunchtime and getting into Melbourne early in the evening. Now, the, the schedule is going to be basically reversed. So the flight will now leave Melbourne lunchtime and the return flight back from Santiago to Melbourne is going to now leave late in the evening for an early morning arrival into Melbourne, which is basically going to mirror the schedule that LATAM uses on its flights from Santiago to Sydney, which stop in Auckland. Also, Emirates is going to be axing one of its daily flights between Perth and Dubai. So currently, Emirates has a daily A380 flight and also a daily 777 flight between Perth and Dubai. The 777 flight is going from next week, and it's just leaving the one daily A380 service. In other news, China Eastern, which is a partner of Qantas, as you may know, is going to be taking its A330s off the uh, Sydney to Shanghai route from next weekend and replacing it with a newer and slightly larger Airbus A350. Speaking of Shanghai, Air China, another of the mainland Chinese carriers, is actually going to be pulling out of its routes between Shanghai and Australia from next weekend. And Air China is going to be focusing uh, now just on flights between Beijing and Australia rather than selling flights out of Shanghai as well. Speaking of flights being reduced, United is going to be reducing some of its flights to Sydney over the, the northern uh, summer and which is, of course, the southern winter. From the 31st of March until the end of the northern summer, which, as I said, is on the 27th of October this year, United is going to be cutting back its flights from Sydney to Los Angeles from daily to just three times a week, and from Sydney to Houston from daily to four times a week, which is uh, quite a substantial cut. 
And Qantas had also applied to begin a new co-chair partnership with Cathay Pacific from the 31st of March. So Qantas had been trying to seek approval to coach or for Cathay Pacific rather to co-chair on Qantas flights from Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane to Hong Kong. Uh, however, there's been a few roadblocks here and the new co-chair partnership has not yet been approved and may never actually be approved by the International Air Services Commission in Australia, which is responsible for um, overseeing these arrangements. So presumably we're going to get a, a decision of, um, about whether this co-chair will be allowed pretty soon, but at this stage it looks like it may not actually go ahead. So those are some of the changes we can expect to see in the Australian aviation scene next weekend. Uh, who would have thought that this would all be related to daylight savings in Europe? But, well, there you have it. Finally this fortnight, some bad news if you're a collector of Singapore Airlines Chris Flyer miles like I am. Now, I mentioned at the start of this episode that Singapore Airlines is going to be increasing the cost of uh, Star Alliance award bookings for travel in business and first class from the 16th of April, which is in just over three weeks. This is personally quite bad news for me because all of my favorite Chris Flyer redemptions, and I do avidly collect Chris Flyer miles to make these bookings, are all becoming more expensive. So it's a bit of a bummer. So what is actually changing, you might be wondering. Well, the Star Alliance award chart is what's affected here, and it affects uh, bookings in business and first class. So economy bookings are not affected, and also the Star Alliance round-the-world bookings are not going up in price either. But bookings that are one-way or round-trip bookings on uh, Star Alliance airlines, or th this also includes bookings that include travel on a mixture of Singapore Airlines and other Star Alliance partner airlines, they are the ones that are affected by the uh, price increases here. If you'd like to have a look at uh, the changes in detail, I would encourage you to have a look at the article on Australian Frequent Flyer, which is linked in the episode notes, and it's called Chris Flyer Star Alliance Award Price Increase. And here you can see a comparison of the old versus the new pricing, which is coming into effect next month. But just to give you an idea of what of some of the changes, uh, one of the most popular Chris Flyer awards is from Australia to Europe. And this is going to increase for if you're in business class for a round trip booking from 210,000 Chris Flyer miles up to 235,000 Chris Flyer miles. And for first class, the price is increasing from 296,000 to 326,000 Chris Flyer miles. Also, one of my personal favorite Chris Flyer redemptions was the Australia to Middle East and North Africa zone redemption. And in business class, this is currently 156,000 Chris Flyer miles round trip. From the 16th of April, this is going to increase to 176,000 miles, so a 20,000 mile increase. Now, the Middle East North Africa zone is quite interesting with Chris Flyer because it basically encompasses the entire Middle East and the top part of the African continent. And so if you're traveling to Europe, it presents a cheaper alternative. It, it costs substantially fewer miles to fly to this zone than it does to fly to somewhere which is considered to be in Europe. But you can fly to Morocco, you can fly to um, Istanbul, Turkey, and a whole range of other places which are very close to Europe while paying a lot less. Now, the increases in price are not extremely outrageous. They're, they're relatively modest overall, but it's still a bit of a bummer, especially when Singapore Airlines only just increased the price of Singapore Airlines and Silk Air Awards uh, two months ago. So the most recent change was just in January. And 
also Singapore Airlines historically, when they uh, introduce a change like this to Chris Flyer Redemptions, previously they have offered something in return to their loyal frequent flyers. So, for example, uh, when they made the most recent change in January, they did uh, introduce some new functionality to the website to help people booking awards. So that was, I wouldn't say it made it worthwhile um, that they made a devaluation, but it was at least something they were giving back in exchange and as a bit of an acknowledgement that, um, yeah, we're putting up the prices and only giving you three weeks of notice. And back in 2017, you may remember, uh, Singapore Airlines also um, had a price increase then. But in exchange, they removed the fuel surcharges that they used to charge an award. So that was, again, a positive thing that they were offering as compensation. So it's a little bit disappointing that Chris Flyer is not uh, seen to be offering this here. In any case, if, like me, you are collecting Chris Flyer miles and you have been thinking about booking a Star Alliance award, just uh, make sure you do it by the 15th of April before the changes come into effect. And that's it for another episode of AFF On Air. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes or visit australianfrequentflyer.com.au. If you happen to have a question that you would like me to answer in a future episode of the podcast, don't forget that you can ask it on the dedicated Ask Matt thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum. And you'll find this thread on our website into the AFF on Air Forum, or there's also a link in the episode notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would really, really appreciate it if you would subscribe and leave a comment or rating. By subscribing or uh, leaving a review, you'll help us to reach more travellers and more people that might be interested in our podcast. So I would really appreciate that uh, very much. And we do read all of your comments and feedback and we do value this a lot. So that would be very, very much appreciated. Well, I'm Matt Graham and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Until then, have a great fortnight and happy flying.